Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Encounter. We're, uh, we're glad to have you, and sorry about that alarm sound. It's just, it's cringe, it's painful, right? We're kicking off a brand new series here at church called Making Monday Matter, and it's all about getting that jump start on the week. But before we get into that, just a, uh, just a highlight of what we just heard. Next weekend is a, uh, is a, is a must-attend. Next weekend is, is Baptism Weekend at Encounter, and we're excited for those uh, who have decided to uh, show the world that they've been raised with Christ and are celebrating this awesome act of baptism. If that's you, if you'd like to explore that uh, conversation, you can start it up at encounterchurch.org slash baptism. Also, my phone's been blowing up this morning because we've got a ton of runners in the Grand Rapids Marathon for Team World Vision to raise money uh, for people who don't have access to clean water. And that's just an awesome thing. And so I can't wait to report on that a little bit later. And so today we're starting this conversation, as I mentioned, on making Monday matter. And so what, what we're doing is uh, we're acknowledging that we were made for more than the mundane, that God made you on purpose for a purpose. And we're trying to, trying to reclaim just what that identity, what that assignment, what that purpose is all about. So today uh, we're kicking off a three-part series on work and, and what work, what specifically your work means to God. And so as we get into this, I guess I just want to lay down some definitions uh, of work. When I say work, I mean that like nine to five, going to your office, clicking a clack on a keyboard, sending off those emails. That's work. When I say work, I mean it's also going to the job site with the hammers and nails or plumbing or electricians. You're going to work there. When I say work, I also mean showing up uh, tomorrow morning ready to pack lunches, change diapers, feed the kids, get them off to school, taking care of those littles. That's work. When I say work, I mean stepping into that high calling that you have in retirement on a Florida beach somewhere, collecting seashells. Like whatever it is, work is that activity that you are assigning your gifts and your passions or, or your abilities toward. It's oftentimes that thing that takes up the majority of your time after sleep, the biggest thing. Uh, that's a, and we're talking throughout the series about about how to honor God and how God shows up in the work that we do. And so some of you have seen this take place, and some of you have seen it, uh, experienced God's blessing behind all of that. And other times you just, other times you just haven't. Other times it's just, it comes out as awkward or it's clunky and we're trying to figure this thing out. So before we kind of get into the content uh, of the message, I just want to tell you that your work matters uh, maybe more than you could have ever even imagined that it does. Uh, and some of you have seen people try to bring God into the workplace, and at best, it's a little bit awkward. At worst, it's just downright cringeworthy. Some of you just kind of figure that, like, the only way that you could possibly bring God into the workplace would be to, like, open up a coffee shop called, like, Holy Grounds or He Brews. And it's like, oh, man, I feel like we could do better than that. And if you thought we can do better than that, you're right. We can do better than that. Sometimes we, we think that the best way that we can bring God into the workplace is um, saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays to the customers uh, that we serve. And it's like, yeah, I, th I think there's something more to it than that. We can, we can do more than, than, than have a blessed day and just try to sneak that one into the conversation. I mean, sometimes it's so painful. You might be sitting next to like somebody the next cubicle over and you know, you're, you're like selling insurance and you, you hear them hang up the phone and being like, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that we could uh, you know, find some life insurance for you, ma'am, but have you thought about life after death insurance? 
And it's like, oh my goodness, like really you end your calls that way, right? Uh, man, some, I'm glad we've got you on our mailing list. Uh, are you sure that the Lamb has got you on his list in the book of life? Like, come on, no, like we, we got to do better than this. We're missing out on this huge part about what it means to follow Jesus in the 167 other hours of the week that aren't just this one. And in fact, God does design us for something much, much bigger, something much, much better in store. And we can kind of align our ideas, kind of align our passions and our work up with his. Man, we see, we see our work going to a whole new level and the passion, the purpose that God has for us. So what we're going to do is we're going to discover, maybe uncover for the first time or for the first time in a while, what God's passion is for your work, 167 hours of the week that aren't this one. So if you'd like to, we can open up the Bibles. We're going to the beginning. We're going to Genesis chapter 1. We're going all the way to the beginning. And we can hear God start off in the creation story where he makes everything in Genesis 1 verse 28. And he says that God blessed them and the them is us. God blessed us. God blessed humanity. God blessed Adam and Eve. God blessed those first people and said to them and to all of us, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, be responsible for it. Have dominion over it. Take care of it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the Beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. See, sometimes we assume that when it comes to work, that God only cares about whether or not we tithe on our work, on, our, on the money that we get from our work, or whether we do it honestly or not. But what we see here in Genesis 1 is this creation story where God himself is embarking in this adventure called work. That it wasn't just a good idea, it was God's idea, and he goes first. Twelve, twelve times in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see God making, we see God creating. You just kind of get this impression, like this cool picture of God cranking out and creating a tree. And then he sees the tree that he made. And he's going, it's good. This is a good tree. And he makes another one. And another one. And another one. And he just keeps, keeps on creating. He just keeps on making. And it, it's like he doesn't get bored. And in that way, I think in that creating, and that like stamping out like tree after tree, turtle after turtle, shark after shark, spider after spider, I, I hate to admit it, but it's like the part of the creation, you know. He, he makes, and he doesn't get bored. And in that way, I think that we were meant to, to, to bear his image, to, to step into his shoes, and to like follow suit. I can imagine somebody showing up in the factory, and just like auto part after auto part coming, coming off the line, just making and creating. And not getting bored with it and just saying more again, again, again. In this way, I think that there's something deeply theological, deeply spiritual about how, how we honor God with our work. It's like, it's like he's got his own workshop that he's making things out of. 
Uh, the, the work that God does, he made it first. It's like he's got his Etsy shop. He's got his YouTube channel. He's showing everything except for the, the you is like the universe, like all of it. He's, display, he's putting it all on display for every single person to see. God loves work so much. This idea struck me uh, in preparation for today. Um, C.S. Lewis observed uh, that there are flowers and that there are creatures that no human being will ever see. Yet God makes them. Yet God creates them. Because there's something about that creative process of making things, of working, that God just doesn't, maybe not for you or maybe not for me, maybe not for anybody else that has ever seen it before, but he does it just for himself. This idea of you showing up to work on Monday We follow in the footsteps of God who goes first on these things. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 15, we follow suit. We fall in line on this one. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. You know, this struck me earlier uh, on when when I read this statistic that that word for work is used over 800 times in the Bible. The word work is used more times than the word music, singing, and praise combined. Yet, in Bible school or seminary, like the training to become a pastor, there were many classes offered to me on worship. There were many departments that I saw in other schools Uh, called worship, but the idea and the concept of work barely even registers in a systematic theology. Like, we've, we've, we've missed this kind of thing. I love this, um, this line. You know, we think about um, God working and God, God designing the workplace. And I love uh, what one author comes up with and says that God uh, determines the number of stars in the sky and calls them each by name. We know that. Like that's Psalm 147. He designs the the stars, calls them each by name. Yeah, but this same God also sets the marketplace in motion and determines the number of occupations that exist and calls the, by name, the person he means to have into each job. The Lord who created and sustains the universe and everything in it is the same Lord who creates and guides and sustains the workplace and the many tasks in it. The creator who spins objects into orbit and stretches out the heavens, Job 9, is the same creator who wants to use you in his marketplace. On a, on a crisp fall day, like we're experiencing, a, a day like today, when there's almost not a cloud in the sky, you guys have these experiences where you just, you walk outside and the, the cold air kind of hits you and it's dark out and you look up and there's stars just scattered. Some of you have gotten out of town a little less light pollution and you can see how many stars there are actually up there. And then imagining everything that you can't just easily see with the naked eye. Guys, I have these experiences where I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm floored by it. Just seeing what God made, 
stars, planets, cast out. And knowing that there's a, there's a God behind it all who keeps each one of these things in motion. And what I haven't done is applied that, that same awe and splendor and looking at the intricacies of a global economy. One of the things I'm struck with lately is when a disruption happens, when a pandemic takes place, and it's been a long time, but it's like some small change in the ecosystem, and all of a sudden, like, nobody can get toilet paper. Houses can't be built. We have like this running joke in my house. Every time the grocery store is out of something, uh, listen, I couldn't get lunch meat. And you're like, COVID, right? Uh, because like we can see the supply chains, the, the intricacies of it all just being disrupted and how everything is different. And you're like, wait a second, wait a second. For this long, there has been a God over all of it who keeps all of these things in motion. He's got a name for each one of the stars in the sky and he's got a name and an assignment for each one of us. And he's like edging one person like, oh, Joe's got to go over here and like John's over here. And like, like I'm just going to uh, Holy Spirit push Fran towards this kind of work because that's, that's what the world needs right now. And you, you get this picture of this like massive God who's not only hanging stars in the sky, but is in charge of the intricacies of, of how the world gets fed on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's awe-inspiring. And I think that's why Jesus, he doesn't shy away from this work thing. He steps right into it. I think that's why Jesus, when when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the Jesus stories, they share his public appearances. In the Gospels, there's 132 public appearances by Jesus. 122 of them are in the marketplace. Jesus told a total of uh, uh, 50 parables. 45 of them have to do with work. In the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of those first followers of Jesus, the book of Acts, there's 40 miracles that take place. 39 of them take place outside of the walls of a a church. You guys know what this means. I became a pastor because I wanted to do ministry, and I find myself in the wrong profession. According to Jesus, like, you guys are in the position to do ministry, not for the church, in, in the world, in the world that God made and, and in the assignment that God has for you in that world. And so we look back at this God who's in charge of all of creation, the stars and the sky and every occupation and role and assignment within all of that. And what's our, what's our answer most of the time? And what's our response to this awe of God? You know, we show up grumpy and somebody says, oh, it looks like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> we go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Finally, Friday comes around and we're like, oh, thank goodness it's Friday. Thank goodness I can be done with that thing that God had for me to, had in store for me to do since the beginning of time itself. There was a, there was a comedian a long time ago, you know, um, 
Has anybody, the Drew Carey show? Is anybody like comedian, the Drew Carey? Awesome, we got a few. We got some nods, we got some people who won't admit it, but that's okay, all right? It's a, it's a grace-filled church, so we can, we can say that. Uh, Drew Carey had a show, he was like a mid-level manager in a department store, kind of human resources uh, sort of stuff. And, uh, and a comedian, he just, he made a living on telling jokes about work, right? And so HR guy, you know, somebody shows up to his office and as a comedian also, he's like, oh, listen, oh, you, you don't like work. Why didn't you say so? You know, you don't like work. Oh, well, that's a totally unique situation. You know, there's actually a support group for people who don't like work. It's called Everybody Ever. And we meet at the bar, right? They just, he just piles right onto it. You know, he's got one of, the, one of these jokes that goes, um, if I only had an hour left to live, I would spend it in my lonely cubicle where time lasts an eternity. <laughs> like this is, this is our, this is oftentimes our response to what we think about as work. Now, now contrast that with um, this photojournalist did, uh, did this project called the Real Humans of New York. And he just it takes a picture of a kind of average person walking around a very small interview, kind of a caption, a little more than that, uh, of the person's life and kind of moves on to the next one. And one of these uh, real humans of New York pictures was, uh, was a little kid, just an adorable small child. And uh, picture the kid, you know, ear to ear grin, big old smile. And his caption is, when I, when I grow up, I want to be a mailman because I want to let people know when it's their birthday right? Like the, the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, like all the hope in the world ahead of this kid. And then he grows up into the Drew Carey world, into the Dilbert comic strips of the world, which is admittedly hilarious, don't get me wrong, but like the, cyni- the crushing cynicism that awaits him in the workplace, no matter what kind of workplace exists. Like, like what What happened? <laughs> Well, a couple of things. If I could like kind of pinpoint the event and then an idea that came out of that event. The first place, the event that happened um, didn't take very long. It's Genesis, not one or two. It's Genesis three, where God creates, creates, creates. Twelve times, God creates. God makes. God works. God workshops. God does something. He displays it to the universe. It doesn't take long before he says to his people, you have one job, people, One job is to just not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Just this one thing I'm asking for you. And then three chapters in, they're eating from the tree in the middle of the garden. And as a result, uh, sin is entered into the world. Evil is entered into the world. The nature of of work seems to have changed. Now get something right. Uh, Genesis 2, pre-fall, is kind of a chronological note. That existed before the fall, which is really important. And then the stuff that happens as a result of the fall comes afterwards. Genesis 3, verse 17, where God says, Now that sin and evil is introduced into the world, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. You'll eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. It's, it's bleak. It's not, like, it's not like work is a result 
of the fall. No, no, no. God works in creation before he sets up anything. It's, it's not like work was something that was assigned to humans because God didn't want to do it anymore. No, no, no. It's like how we image God. But it's like in that work, it's in that growing, there's now going to be thorns and thistles, and I assume mosquitoes as well as a part of the, part of the fall. In that work, there's going to be computer crashes and bad timing on system upgrades. In that work, there's going to be traffic jams. In that work, there's going to be Zoom as a platform, just full stop, period, all of that, product of the fall. Like in that work, there's going to be hardship that comes out of that as a result as a result of that fall. There's going to be endless forms and angry customers and urgent emails at all parts of the day. Now, th- this is the event. I said there was an event that, uh, that moves us from the kid with the, yeah, I want to be a mailman to let people know when it's their birthday to like the Dilbert comic strip, just ripping at, at work at every turn. There was an event called the fall that caused that. And there was also an idea that we kind of latched hold of that, that I don't think any of us are exempt from. It has sort of infiltrated our, our minds and affects us probably more than what we think. Uh, not my idea. This one comes as points out to, uh, by uh, author um, Christian Overman. He wrote this book called uh, Assumptions That Affect Our Lives, which is really important. They kind of operate just sort of below the radar, but, but have a huge effect on everything that we do and, and, and the way that we think. And he, he just, he points out that many of us, um, when we think about the concept of work, we have a tiered hierarchy of it. I brought a, a slide to just kind of show. We have up at the top, the eternal things, the lasting things. Um, we have up at the top, the work of ministers and missionaries, evangelists, and the work of pastors, uh, things that are, that are sacred and everlasting, eternal. And then towards the bottom, we have the, the secular things or the ordinary things, the things that are temporary in nature, things like home and school, the trades, business. And one of them is clearly like higher. One of them is clearly like better than the other. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating for this. I think it's, it's totally wrong, but, but it's worth pointing out that sometimes we have this assumption that like if only I did something eternal or, or holy or sacred, then my work would matter more than just beyond like gathering a paycheck. Sometimes I hear it around here with people who are like, man, man, I got to go to a you know, construction job or I got to go to my office job. And if, if I could only work for the church, and I just want to caution like everybody on that because it's like what, like, what do you think we do here, <laughs> right? You think we're just like sitting around and like praying and like singing worship songs? Admittedly, there probably is more praying and singing worship songs than at your job. I, that's probably true. But there's also email. There's also organizing. There's also ordering and, and, and sorting and the, the lifting of things and moving of things. Like There's like work in, involved in all of that. It, it betrays us because sometimes I are thinking, sometimes I, I hear the comment around, like, especially when there's an unpopular uh, uh, decision that has to be made. It's the church should be different than the rest of the world. And I guess I want to like, like pull the layers apart on some of that. Like, what, what do we mean by that? How, how should the church be different than the rest of the world? Because Christian Overman would say it's not necessarily like 
the church should be different, but Christians should be different than the rest of the world. The, the way that we operate, whether we work for a church or work for a construction company, work for an accounting company, or work from home, work out of retirement, work as a student in the classroom, Christians should operate by a different playbook, not just because we work for a church. We should all strive to be, to be different. The idea, uh, the idea that, that there's like this lofty kind of eternal thing out there that has these big implications, this goes, this goes back a ways. Like this is how much it has like infiltrated our thinking. It goes back all the way 2,300 years ago. It goes all the way back to the time of Aristotle, the philosopher who, uh, who came up with a, a genius idea that there are things like up here that are just so good and so, and so wise. It's, it's the ideal happiness that we could all aspire to would be a life of pure contemplation. And Aristotle's kind of contribution on this thing would be like the philosopher's life is way up here. Uh, things, ideas, dealing with uh, ideas and not things. And the closer we get towards working with our hands, let's say, or working with things, like the lower down and, the, and, and as Aristotle describes it, the unhappier than we're going to become. And so for him, as a philosopher, for Aristotle, like laying asphalt or maybe uh, giving a bottle to a child would, would be like the lowest possible thing that we could never be happy on. Now, now, in contrast to Aristotle's philosophy is Jesus. Like, think about this for, from the perspective of, of the church. When God, literally, like, God decided to step into the world that he made, he steps into it in the form of a first century work hand. Now, now like, thought exercise. Um, just think of, like, the picture that you have of Jesus in your mind. I won't ask you to share it with anybody, but just imagine Jesus. You know, and some of you are, like, picturing Jesus ascended on high, you know, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Good, good. That's Jesus. Some of you are picturing, like, Jesus from the Illustrated Children's Bible, and he's got, like, long flowing hair, and he's, there's always a lamb in the picture. I don't know why he carries around a lamb. Maybe he's got, that's, it's like John's job to carry the lamb around, but, like, this is, you know, Jesus. The picture that most of us have of Jesus is he's this wise sage. You know, he's a, he's a prophet. He's a teacher. He's, he's a rabbi. Now, don't get me wrong. He is all of these things, like, for sure. I'm not backing away from that at all. He totally is. But that encapsulates historians' best guess of about three years, the last three years of his life before he died and rose and ascended to heaven. Our best guess is that from the age of 12 to 30, his full-time job was a carpenter. So if my math is right, six times longer Jesus was a carpenter than he was like Rabbi Jesus. So I want us to, I want us to tweak, I guess, our understanding of like the whole person of who Jesus was. Like this is a guy from a very young age learned what it meant to bid a job out. He learned how to build houses and repair whatever it is that anybody asked him 
to repair. Like this was a guy that would have to source material. He'd get it in, he'd work on it for a little while, he'd turn it into something else, and he would sell it for more than he bought it for. He just imagine Jesus figuring out from a very young age, for almost two decades, he learned how to deal with an angry customer. This is who Jesus was. He steps into the working world because it's here that he has for, for all of us to say, we have a mission in this place. And it isn't just to change our happy holidays into Merry Christmases. It isn't just to tell our coworkers about Jesus by playing Christian music in our cubicles or, or on the job site. Like, like, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than even tithing on our income. There's more to it even than doing our job with integrity. It is these things, I think. But it's also more. Uh, back to Christian Overman and, and his explanation goes, there's not this higher level and lower level. That's, that's Aristotelian thought. That's Aristotle. But Jesus, the divine, but God, as we see from Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's one circle, there's one sphere, there's, there's one life, and, and we all find ourselves in it. There's this uh, there's this uh, different spheres of life. There's church, yes, uh, but also school, art, home, music, drama, sports, business, law, labor, agriculture, sex, medicine. All of life is found within this sphere. And, and our role as followers of Jesus, like him, is to step into our sphere that he has called us into. And to prevent and to prevent the natural drift towards becoming in conflict with the way of God. But, but influence the sphere that we have and, and push it to be more in line with the harmony of God. The, the good things of God. Like our job as Christians is to step into whatever environment he has. And he has put us in, he has assigned us to, and to lift it up. So people who work from home, lift up your home, lift up your neighborhood, lift up your office, lift up your corporation, lift up your school. Like bring it to operate more in line, in harmony with a good God who made all of these things and assigned you into that role. You just imagine what this thing could look like on the outset of it. It means ethics on Wall Street and beauty and art and profit with a purpose and fair trade and attention to detail, good music, godly laws. It means schools that shine bright. God made you for Monday. So throughout this series, we're making Monday matter. I... Uh, I started something uh, in my family. I tried to get it to be like a thing outside, but it just, it did not go anywhere. Um, but I called it Take Your Brother to Work Day. And uh, people just weren't, weren't super interested in that, I guess. But that's all right. I've got two older brothers. And uh, I knew kind of a little bit about what they did for a living. But, you know, I wanted to, like, how do people with real jobs operate, right? Like, what's that like? You know, I've... You know, I do, I've done this thing for a while, but, but I want to know what your life is like. So I started Take Your Brother to Work Day, and I've got two older brothers. Uh, one of them at the time was building luxury homes on the lakeshore, and I thought, that's going to be cool. 
And uh, so we, we take your brother. So all the three of us got in a car. We got some lunch. And we head out. And we just we saw the different homes in uh, various stages of construction. So one was like uh, foundation poured. And he's like sharing like this is kind of, you know, why we picked this site and the overlook and, you know, what it's going to be. The next one is framed in. It's, it's on its way. And you kind of walk through and see like what rooms are going to be what. And the last one was like just just last step before the for sale sign goes in the, in the front, you know. And it's beautiful and it's furnished and, you know, why the views are this way instead of that way. And it was super cool, like, to learn how people, how people do their jobs. And then there was my other brother. Um, I'm trying to tread carefully because he may be watching this right now or, or later, but uh, my, uh, my other older brother is a controls engineer, and though he has had this job for something like 20 years, I still have no idea, like, what that specifically is. So part of, like, take your brother to work day is, like, I know what it means to build houses. I got, you know, I got that far. But, like, what does an engineer do, you know? Uh, and I thought, well, if we go and like, show up, like, he's going to explain it to us. And so we did. We show up, and we see his office. It was mostly empty as people are, like, out on like on site, doing something somewhere else, cool, right? He turns on his computer in his, in his cubicle, which looked amazing, and, uh, and he's showing us like, well, I guess I don't know what they are. And so it's hard to describe. And he's walking through the process of what he does every day. And outside of like, well, coffee is like at 10.30 usually, and lunch is just after noon to about 1.00. I wasn't really any closer to finding out what in the world that he does. It's something about, something about building things that build other things. The best I could get is like, what does your brother do? Uh, one builds homes and the other one plays with robots. That's all I got. Uh, but at, as he's describing the work... He is, his face is like coming alive. You know, he's showing us about how he, how he like spots these glitches, you know, and it prevents these problems down the line. And about how he's creating these micro little efficiencies along the line. And I'm like, we're still talking about yogurt and auto parts, right? Like same, same machine. No, different machine. Okay, got that, got that. But like his face is just radiant and glowing as he's describing something. I've got no clue in the world like what it is. But it's just, I'm struck with like, this is a, this is a guy who has found his passion, you know, his excitement, the reason why God made him. And he has found like a deep need in the world and these things have like come together for him. And he runs through his day with the pleasure of God behind him. That line was a, was a line uh, from the movie uh, Chariots of Fire, a classic movie, very dated by this time, but it follows an uh, a Olympic hopeful, Eric Liddell, uh, training up for the 1924 Olympics. And part of the tension in the movie is that, is that there's pressure on him to do something different with his life, to the first Overman slide that we saw, do something higher with his life. The pressure that he was experiencing, especially from his sister, was forget about running. It's a silly sport. What you should do instead is, is become a missionary to China, actually do something with your life. And there's this awesome, awesome line in the movie that comes out of it that says that God made me for a purpose. 
but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Throughout this series, this is my hope and that's my sincere prayer for you. That you'll discover when you wake up to your alarm tomorrow morning, when you pour cereal for the kids, you'll feel God's pleasure. When you send out an email this week, you will feel God's pleasure behind you. When you swing a hammer, plumb a house, make a sale, you will experience the pleasure of God in your life. That you, your work matters incredibly more than you could have ever imagined. He made you more than for the mundane. He made you on purpose for a purpose. Church, some of you haven't found that yet. Some of you haven't found that yet. If you're still searching, if you're still wondering, uh, part two of the message next week is called Find Your Why. Some of you have think that you found that, but the joy has eroded out of the process. And you're finding yourself going, I used to love this. Why do I hate it so much now? Why does work feel so lifeless now? Join us for part three. How to be successful no matter what. Uh, For right now, church, at all of our locations, Fulton Heights, here at Kentwood, wherever you're watching from, would you just stand up with me today? If this means you're in your living room, on your back porch, let's just stand up. And what I'd like you to do is is to extend your hands out uh, to receive God's blessing uh, as a symbolic way of experiencing the pleasure of God behind you this week. And I'd like to offer you a blessing adapted from Numbers chapter 6 for our week. Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you this week as you're changing diapers, making breakfast, or writing email. May God's favor be upon you as you build houses, sell insurance. May God's face shine on you as you pack lunches and clean dishes and program robots. May God's face turn toward you and be gracious to you every day of this week. God, you made us for more than just an hour a week worshiping you. God, you made us for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and back again to Sunday. God, you have a ministry and a purpose for us every single day, every single hour of our lives. May we feel your good pleasure in everything that we do. Would you bless? Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.